Justin, welcome. Great Thank to have you, you here. Me. Thank you. Uh, so, yeah, obviously, we're going to explore road mapping, particularly in the context of products and product management. But I know you have a, uh, a world you're operating where you take well, roadmaps to a broader audience. Indeed. Yeah, so indeed. So I, got I guess we're gonna we're gonna explore a few things, but I, I do want this to be conversational. I do want this to be a a, a chat between two friends, not a uh, an interview. I'm not grilling you and deciding whether you get the job or not. <laughs> Good. So I, I don't need to wait for any uh, competency based questions. Then Phil, we can actually have a bit of a giggle no. as well. And I'm not even going to do the behavioural questions either. I'm not going to be checking, you know, for those. Uh, you know, how do you behave and all those things of whether I give you the job and you know, how did you, what was your greatest failure, greatest success? We'll, we'll try and avoid those ones. Good. Sounds good. Sounds good. Perfect. So, yeah, so the aim is to really understand road mapping, your perspective on it. Uh, I mean, I've got a few questions I want to run through. That's going to give some broad structure, but you know, if you say something interesting, we'll probably go off piste and uh, I think kind of follow down that rabbit hole. I think we should. We should. Um, I think there's uh, there's going to be multiple places where we could go off and down there. So uh, we'll pull each other out where necessary. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to going into that. Perfect. Wonderful. So I guess I'm going to start with one of those core, really fundamental ones. What what in your head is the purpose of a roadmap? It's a good question. And I think roadmaps over time have uh, been quite misunderstood. Um, I think roadmaps are, are like opinions. Everyone tends to have them and, and they all tend to look different from each other. Um, but for me, a, a roadmap really fulfills a couple of different purposes. And I think there should also sometimes be a couple of different roadmaps as well. And that might be one rabbit hole that we go down at, at some point later. But essentially, a roadmap for me is, is a communication tool. It's, it's designed to communicate a, a, uh, a philosophy or a vision of product direction or a company direction and promote awareness to other people. You know, we have large teams, distributed teams in these days as well. Um, where we want to be able to unite people around a common understanding. So communication and awareness is an important one. <clears throat> I think also, um, you know, these roadmaps can be used to um, get everyone on the same page, no matter what level they are within the company. So you need sometimes them to be an alignment tool to be able to align teams. But I think you also need them to be a buy-in tool as well. You know, you need to share this out with the business because you've got multiple teams that are going to need to get behind you and buy into this vision that you're trying to share them. So the, the buy-in is an important piece. Interesting. Sorry, yeah, a couple yeah. of points I'd really love to pick up on there. So you talked about buy-in. So does that mean people are allowed to disagree with the with it and there's a discussion? I think so. I think, you know, these these tools are or, or roadmaps themselves are designed to invoke a level of discussion because ultimately as a as a product leader um, or, or as a product manager or roadmap owner, even you are putting forth your your strategy and your goals that have come from multiple places anyway. And so people are going to have different views on these things. Um, but I think helping to understand the why that these decisions have been made. Why are these things important? Um, and the roadmap might highlight a discrepancy where actually you can bring stakeholders together and get them to talk in a room so, so that ultimately they can reach agreement of what, what thing to do. And it might be the ordering. It might be that some things are sequential. It might be the level of investment of money or resources, which actually I think is another point behind roadmaps. But uh, I think people are allowed to disagree with it. But ultimately you want the roadmap to kind of lead to where people do agree on something yeah i mean in that context what do you think about the uh, the principle of disagree yet commit i think i think as long as people understand the why i think it's absolutely fine to disagree with these things you know we might not always agree i've not agreed with some of the direction that i've had for my stakeholders as a product manager but understanding the why and then, and then getting behind that and knowing that we move further as a team than we do as an individual. And sometimes it's often that I might, it's not that I fundamentally disagree with, with the, big pick, the big piece that we're trying to deliver. It might just literally be about the timing. And so understanding, you know, look, there's understanding the greater good. This needs to come first. And so I need to disagree, but commit to what it's going to be. And I've, I've done that many times before. Um, but sometimes there's always little wins that we can put in after that. So it might be something 
saying, you know, I'm going to deliver something for you, then I'm going to deliver something for me or for this other stakeholder. So I think I think the commit is really important. And I think also the it's okay to agree or disagree, but you don't want to be working in different directions. That that I think is is fundamentally bad. Yeah, I, I, I think I fundamentally agree there as well. It's like I remember when I was leaving product teams, kind of to having those conversations where we'd have the debate, but ultimately when needing to make a decision, there was a conclusion that had to come and consensus wasn't always the uh, the right approach because sometimes that's the road to uh, mediocrity, I sometimes think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and, you know, when you get into these um, product or road mapping uh, type positions, there's a lot of stakeholders and they all have strong opinions um, and, and something to say. So I think, you know, trying to, um, bring those people together and, and to get them to align and commit. Um, and, and also just showing that something, you know, there's going to be a sequence to some of this work. Or we might not agree, but we believe in the greater good. And we actually believe more sometimes in the strategic vision. Um, you know, the vision is going to be separate from the roadmap. And um, we, again, we can come on to that later. Um, but believing in the greater good sometimes means that the how or how the roadmap is going to say those things, we might just have to suck it up and just say, yeah, it is the right thing to do for the company or for the customer. Totally agree. And actually, you've you've talked about stakeholders, you've talked about all those other people. So who are the people that contribute to that roadmap, in your opinion? I think it there's a lot of people that come contribute towards it. Um, I will contribute towards it as a product leader because I will understand the product better than, than, you know, hopefully anybody else. That's my job to do that. But that's not to say that there aren't some big players in the organization. Um, you know, often uh, in former roles when I was part of a telecommunications company, I was the product manager of a number of tools in a digital area, but there was also a strategy and planning department in another area. So then you start to say, well, who owns the strategy of the roadmap tool? Is it the product owner who owns the tool? Or is it the strategy and planning department that think that they, they you know, that own the, the strategy and planning? And so sometimes you can often come at loggerheads there in order to, you know, to, to, to try and resolve that. So I think there's always going to be stakeholders. You're always going to bring something to it from your knowledge, from the, the facts and figures, hopefully. We, you know, we want to be making data-led decisions, but also a level of gut feel. Um, I've also seen organizations where the manager of that area makes decisions on the roadmap. And I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that unless they are a complete product person. Um, and then I think a lot of it is, is also down to the users. Um, when I've owned product tools, they've been internal tools. So some of my stakeholders, and I, and I use that, that term quite liberally because they, they hold a stake, even if it's not necessarily significant, but they're the key users of my product. Um, and then they might have their users as well. And so getting all of that information into, into one place, I see those as, as all being contributors. So really the roadmap sometimes can be a, a bottom up to understand strategy and what everything is going on and then driving top down again. So I think it's important to bring everyone in, in on that journey. Yeah, and I think, I think you've actually kind of, you've talked about contribution, you've talked a little bit about ownership there as well, and you've talked a little bit about audience. Um, what are your thoughts kind of around that differentiation? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great point. Um, and we can often get stuck into this who owns the roadmap and, and, and what responsibilities there are. I think, again, it's good to have structure, but you want to keep it, um, you know, you want to have some process behind it. For my business analysis days, um, I've looked after documents, requirements documents or BRDs. Um, and, and I've been of the mindset that I'm the owner of that document, but the various stakeholders are the people that own the requirements or the needs on there. As, as, a, as a, a, a business analyst, my job is to faithfully capture that business need, but not necessarily to influence it. And so because of that capturing that business need, the need comes from the business, not from myself. So I see myself as the owner of the document and I'm accountable for, open, uh, for, for, um, for owning that and maintaining it. But I think other people will be responsible responsible for the things that they belong to that, that they bring to it sure yeah and you actually hinted at kind of some related elements through through this conversation so far now there's things i guess that feed into it things that feed out of it there are things that kind of sit alongside it different artifacts different elements i think you mentioned vision and strategy at one point can you kind of give us a feel for you know that 
ecosystem, how they relate and from your perspective? Yeah, absolutely. And there's also from what I believe and what I've experienced. So those could be different things as well. Um, I don't think, uh, again, every company does it consistently, but that's that's okay. But I think the, the roadmap itself is, is not the be all and end all. The, the, the roadmap should actually come after the, the vision and the strategy. You know, we want to be able to understand what is it that we want to achieve before we start to think about what are some of the high level ways of getting there? So a roadmap is, is often talking about time frames and where we are now and where we want to get to. I mean, that comes back from, you know, when we navigate in our cars, we, we put in a destination and then it shows us the route to get there. I think that's where the term road mapping has really come from. So it should be this kind of aspirational journey of where we are to where we want to be. But the where we want to be is really captured in the strategy, the vision, the mission statement. You know, those want to be the high level north star that we want to achieve i think we should absolutely uh uh, have a strategy before those things. I don't think we should have a roadmap without a strategy. Otherwise, how do you know where you're going? So I think some of those artifacts would be, yeah, the strategy, the um, the some of the goals and, and and initiatives as well, because the goals and initiatives are the things that I like to bring down into my roadmap. Um, so I can actually say this is the strategy where we want to go. These are the kind of these are the, the milestones that we want to achieve and, and some of the metrics and goals behind it and maybe some larger bodies of work. And I expect some of those to come down into the roadmap. And then maybe from that roadmap, what comes out of that are going to be things like agreement, investment, uh, delivery plans and, and sort of execution side of things. So the roadmap sits in between those things. It shouldn't necessarily be delivery and it shouldn't necessarily be only strategy as well. Okay, so, so it's a bridge between those two sort of just domains. I mean, I think some people would say between the strategy and the tactical. I prefer to use the words operational for what we're mm -hmm. talking about to be tactical problem solving. Yeah. Um, and so, but yeah, it's bridging between that getting stuff done and what's the stuff we should be getting done and where should we be driving towards? I, I, I like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do and also I find it interesting, you know, that kind of talk about a road mapping, yeah, coming from navigation. It's, it's an interesting metaphor that we've chosen to use, I find, of a roadmap, because the map itself doesn't tell us how to get there. It shows us all the options. Absolutely. And, and, and some of the roadmaps that I've started to, to lean into a little bit more um, are the ones where they start to, again, they should be, they should be aspirational. And I think um, there's often reference to the, the cone of certainty, right? So something that is near term, we're much more confident around what it is and we're, we're, that's what we're going to be going into next. Whereas um, we look further out, I mean, hence the popularity of now, next, later, as something is much further out, there, there is much less certainty around there. And the, the, and the same is 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 true of road mapping right we, we we know what's going on in our local road network but not necessarily further down and so giving the flexibility to make those changes setting some form of aspirational uh, journey but not actually saying that's specifically the way we need to go i think the destination remains the same but leaving agility in how we get there is 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 it going to lead to a more successful roadmap and actually i think a roadmap that better stands the tests with the business because if you're prescriptive on how you're going to get there there can always be problems with execution or operational side whereas if you're high enough level that says this is where we're going to get to around this time then it's less specific on how you're going to do that yeah i mean you all know that no plan survives contact with the enemy or mike, as mike tyson is famous for saying no everyone has a plan until they're punched in the face Plans absolutely seem to try and preempt everything that can happen all the decisions we're going to make i mean for me i can't imagine that we can never realistically do that. And yeah, if you try and prescribe the solution, I guess you're in that place, you're trying to preempt everything and you're probably gonna be wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it feels more like a delivery plan as well. You know, it's too it's too specific. But some of the roadmaps that I've liked have been kind of a little bit conditional saying, hey, we're going to do this initiative or we're going to go after this kind of opportunity. And at the end point of that, we're actually going to evaluate whether that was successful and then go and do either if it was successful, we're going to try this or if it wasn't, we're going to do that. And I don't think we should get that completely in a, in a roadmap. Otherwise, it's going to look like a flow chart, but kind of some bigger yeah. picture type. Type things of saying we're going to try this 
um, and almost bringing a level of agility into our roadmaps and not letting that be some waterfall two-year document of what we're going to do, I think is quite nice. I haven't perfected how that works, and that's something that I want to research a bit over time. But ones that allow that flexibility um, is, I, th I think, is realistic and, and helps people to see some thought behind what we're going to do and, and, and how the curious nature of how we're going to do it. I want to put a just a, a flag there and kind of use the words agility a few times. I want to save that till a little bit later. Mm. Come back to it because you know agile isn't necessarily the panacea. You know, everyone talks about agility and agile a lot, and waterfall is this evil thing. Now, I know some industries use waterfall methodology very effectively, so I think it's something to come back to. But you've oh. also talked about a number of sort of points there around different elements of context. You talked about a now, next and future sort of timeline. You talked about a timeline mm -hmm. as well. And you talked about kind of being aspirational and kind of direction or where almost the destination being on the roadmap as opposed right. to the solution. So can you maybe tell me more about what you think about as the key elements, key content of a roadmap? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think just segue, you know, coming in from what you were just saying there, I think time frames, not timelines, is is one of the most important ones. You know, whether that be quarterly basis or whether that be, um, you know, that the, the, if we have specific releases because we've got a monolithic product or we're in hardware and we have to release during certain times, um, then sometimes that's a little bit inevitable. But we want to be able to decouple a business from thinking about releases and when we're going to, um, you know, deliver software and more around this is the focus on what we're going to be doing for the next three months or the next six months, whatever time frame we want to use, but not putting timelines on there, I think is really important. And again, that comes into agile side way of thinking, which is look, again, that cone of certainty, here's what we're certain we're going to be working on now based on all of our knowledge and all of our, you know, what everything is telling us to do is right. Next, we may consider these things, and then in future, these things are kind of possible. And it's about, I think, also educating the business on this. Phil, um, we might be going, I might be going down a, a rabbit hole here, so pull pull me out. <laughs> but one of my one of my clients is 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 moving to Scaled Agile, and organisationally, that's challenging because the teams have to get behind Scaled Agile, and the fact that we're not talking about releases anymore, we're talking about program increments or a period of time. That then means that their stakeholders need to get behind at, at, um, Scaled Agile. But interestingly, they're also having to educate their customers on them getting behind Scaled Agile because their customers are saying, hey, what's in the next release? And they're trying to say, we were not working on releases anymore. We're deploying our software on demand. Um, so we're going to communicate to you now what we're going to be working on in program increments. And that's a really big journey for even uh, the, the customers of a company that are external to the scaled agile process. So that's really fascinating to kind of see that everyone has to come along for that journey. I mean, that brings us back a little bit to that earlier sort of comment about audiences. In fact, so you've talked about customers you know, you've used that in the broader context of mm -hmm. stakeholders. Now, do you differentiate what you think about showing to the content you share with them, what's included in the roadmap for those different audiences? How do you think about that? Yeah, I, I do. And I, and I think it's, I think critically here, and I can't emphasize this enough, one version of the truth is the most important thing. But that doesn't mean that it's the only lens by which it needs to be shared. And I, and I, I really believe in that. You know, we need to make sure that we're all singing off the same hymn sheet. Uh, the single version of truth is that however you represent that in different ways, it's always consistent. But I don't think sometimes that, you know, high level stakeholders are going to be very interested in very specific information. Um, your uh, users or your customers are going to be very interested in something else. Ultimately, we have to think about what do they want to see? Selfishly, they want to look at a roadmap and go, am I getting from this what I want to see? And so, again, that probably comes down to another conversation we'll have about evolving the presentation of your roadmaps and what you show. Um, but I do think that, yeah, there needs to be that you need to tailor your roadmap to the audience, because ultimately, again, we think about what that roadmap is for alignment and buy in communication and awareness, investment of resource. If you can't get these people excited about your roadmap, they are not going to be on that journey with you. And therefore, you might end up getting this disagreement and maybe a lack of commitment. I mean, that, that strikes me as the sort of thing we talk about. Well, when I talk about when I talk about presentations, you pr a presentation you write for your audience. Absolutely. It's a communication medium. And 
So that roadmap as a communication tool, yeah, it's, it's for the audience. It's not about what you want to say, it's about what they need to hear or how they need to hear it. Yes, perhaps. absolutely, for sure. And that brings me on to maybe this concept of style or visualization quite nicely. So any thoughts on, on that when it comes to roadmaps? Yeah, I think I've, I've seen so many different styles of roadmaps over the time. I've, I think the most novel one that I've seen uh, was a solar system where the, the various planets, you know, the, the, the planets that were closer or the ones of work where we were sure we were going to do something going all the way throughout into the Milky Way in the solar system, which was kind of the aspirational third horizon type thinking. Um, but we need to be careful that we don't kind of, you know, it's not all graphic design and, and, and um, style over substance. I think the roadmap needs to show exactly what it needs to, uh, to show. I know it sounds profound, but it needs to show exactly what it needs to show to do its job um, and, and nothing more. So if we overwhelm people with informational stuff they don't need to see, then you're probably going to dig yourself into a hole somewhere down the line or... Um, or you're just going to lose the message in the graphics. But similarly, I've seen some, you know, some roadmaps have been done in spreadsheets. And, and that's absolutely fine if that is appropriate and that's what we've got. So I think, you know, I think there needs to be that balance between presentation and substance. Um, but yeah, Solar System was the most bizarre one that I've ever seen. And a spreadsheet is the classic one that we've all done because we, you know, when we join these organizations and don't have road mapping tools, sometimes spreadsheets and, and Word or, or PowerPoint is all we've got. And so we do our best with that too. But I think there's another thing that we might come on to, which is the difference between where, how you present your roadmap and how you manage that roadmap. Well, heck, you've taken <laughs> us there. Let's, let's you know, take, take me down that rabbit hole. So I think they can be one and the same. I think the dangerous point is, is that, and, and this happens to so many people, um, is that we start off with our Excels or our PowerPoints. We create a roadmap in there, but then it becomes very difficult to, what version is it? You know, roadmap 2022 uh, dot final, uh, dot final, dot final, dot final, dot final, dot their stakeholders name. And so versioning becomes difficult. Who have we given what? And as I mentioned earlier, we want a single version of the truth but we want multiple lenses. And so how do you keep that consistent? I think for me, you know, a tool can be a great way, you know, as, as in a, a piece of software can be a great way of being able to centralize that information and make it one version of the truth. And sometimes we can use different filters on that to create different lenses for the stakeholders. But I've seen some of the tools have been very basic and they've not created uh, beautiful looking roadmaps. And so, again, I think there needs to be a level of finessing on your output so that people look at it and go, oh, I'm excited by that. I like the visuals. I like the coloring. Um, some people can't get excited by Gantt bars made by cells in an Excel. And I get that, too. So I think, you know, where possible, we should manage and present from the same system. Um, we should never manage in a system where we're presenting the roadmap, trying to manage dependencies in PowerPoint. Good luck with that. We've all been there. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of points I want to pick up there. One is, what about dependencies, in, particularly in a portfolio context? Is there a difference between mapping the path or the journey of a single product versus you know, that portfolio or that product line of things that are interrelated? Yeah, I, th I think so. Um, especially when we're working on large, uh, when you're working on large products where maybe you've got multiple product owners or product managers working on components of that thing. So think a large portal, um, and then you have <coughs> different product owners on there. If those product owners are fighting for or, or vying for the same levels of resource, there does need to be some level of deconfliction. Um, also, it can sometimes be the difference between sequencing, right? It might be that we just do something before something else, uh, and 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 that leads to a deconfliction of resources or or um, or, or effort there. Or, but isn't that getting into the risking turning into a project plan <clears throat> and that solution space mindset again? It, it does, but I think there needs to be a level of that upfront. But even if it's just a light touch. So where I'm going with this is sometimes you know if we're looking at strategic initiatives and planning those out over the year or our goals. 
yes, it becomes very difficult to put a dollar cost or, a, or an effort there, but I've seen what companies do it well is just a notion of 30% of our resource or our effort is going to go here, 60% here, 10% here. Because if you don't plan for it up that at the top level, then it becomes very difficult to deconflict that lower, lower down. But I think we do get to down to that point then where... Um, you know, we do run the risk of then creating a very high level prescriptive roadmap. So we need to do just enough in order to understand our priorities and that roughly we're going in the right direction. And then almost the next level down might be, again, not execution, but it might be, okay, if this is the way we want to take these product areas and it unites these teams, now we want those teams to take those and break that down into their kind of initiatives. And so we take this multi-layered approach and some tools I've seen do that um, and they've done that quite well. I think if you try and do it all at the same time, you're not going to get there. Sure. Now, maybe a slightly loaded question because I know you're quite embedded with a particular tool, but do you have a preferred tool for working with uh, programming? <laughs> well, I, I do, um, but but also there's, there's you know, other tools are available and I'm always curious on, on, on what is there. So I think for road mapping, you know, there's no doubt I've, I've, I've been an AHA user for the last seven years as both a customer when I was a product leader at Vodafone, uh, then then joined the company and now building a consultancy business around that as well. I think AHA does a lot of things well, but I think it's what we should look at with some of these tools is probably the philosophy around the tools and, and the owner and the organization and what they believe. Because I think, you know, features are very easy to copy. Uh, they're very easy just to, to, to create and spin up. Sometimes we can deploy features in a matter of days. But I think looking at these various tools, you want to look at the philosophy behind the founders and what they believe in and what ties in with your product philosophy as well so using aha i think does create some really powerful outputs i think it's unmatched in terms of creating outputs and and beautiful roadmaps and reports but i sometimes feel that you know there's more that can be done in that space in terms of creating truly beautiful and engaging roadmaps um, other tools for instance might be much more lightweight um, but the outputs they create can sometimes be a bit more attractive or they can be just a bit more a bit more friendly, a bit less corporate. Yeah. I mean, you know that back in the day when we met, actually, I was exploring AHA myself and my own team and I was about to source it. I suspect if I was choosing myself today, I'd probably go down the prod pad route just because I think philosophically it lines better with my perspective. But yeah, I can I can get where you're coming from. And it's it's an interesting... Frankly, I've done most of my roadmapping in PowerPoint. And, Absolutely. Uh, it's always had that single source of truth issue. So yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting one. So let's let's take a segue now into thinking a little bit about the good and the bad of roadmaps, because I'm sure you've run into a lot of them. <laughs> so maybe you can give me some high level, what do you think is best practice when it comes to road mapping? I think best practices are around, um, it needs, you need to think about what road mapping is and what it isn't. So we've already mentioned some deliverables that come up front. And I think we've also talked about some downstream things. We didn't actually talk about the side uh, artifacts that may support that, but that's fine. But I think we need to understand what road mapping is and, and, and not try and make it do too much. It needs to sit in my view between uh, strategy and execution. So the high level big picture stuff versus kind of here's what we're going to start to work on in terms of our plans and it needs to stay there. Um, it needs to get people excited around what it is that you're doing and get that alignment. And it also needs to strike this balance between being specific enough, but also aspirational enough. I think a well, um, a, a good philosophy around road mapping as well is communicate it often and take the feedback from people. Always think, almost bring agile to your road mapping and say, look, this is the information I think you want to see as a stakeholder, as a starter for 10. Now you tell me, Phil, what you would like to do on that. And the next, you know, what you would like to see on it. And the next time I create it, I'm going to create some more of that. Now we need to be careful that we don't, I don't then turn it into a delivery plan at your request. I need to put some, um, some guardrails up there, but ultimately this needs to be for you and it needs to make you happy and bought into what it is that I'm doing. So definitely make it a living document that should be uh, communicated and reviewed often, not as a one-off exercise in Q4 and then put on a shelf until the next Q4 when we review what we've done. Interesting. And there's two things I've picked up there that I'd love to kind of get your thoughts on. One is that, 
yeah, it's that living document. You know, so it, that sounds like it's subject to change. You know, it's kind of it's plan A, but we're it's you know we're not necessarily going to deliver on it, and stakeholders struggle with that. And the second one is, well, that bridge between those two areas of strategy and execution. It's also a space occupied by another tool called OKRs, yes. quite nicely. And uh, I think I've seen actually Bruce McCarthy has a, a webinar coming up where it's OKRs versus roadmap death match. Um, so I guess let's go to the first one first. I'd love to explore both of those with you. So kind of <laughs> what's the, if we think about, um, what did I say first? Um, well, let's do the OKRs versus roadmaps while I remember the first question. <laughs> Yeah, so I think I think for me, I, I see OKRs as, as supporting that that roadmapping process. So OKRs, I feel, you know, let's break them down into their objectives and key results. They feel very much like, you know, this is what we want to achieve by this time frame. Um, and these are the results that we're expecting to see. So it does give an, ex I, I see them as points where it's it's kind of like, this is what we want to achieve and how we're going to measure it. But it doesn't. I don't necessarily always get a semblance of uh, a roadmap from from that. You know, when I think of a roadmap, I am thinking of things following each other. So, I think OKRs definitely need to be represented visually. Um, and so, when you represent your OK, OKRs visually, you are getting a level of a roadmap there. Now, interestingly, or from my perspective, that doesn't necessarily tell you the initiatives that you're going to go after in order to achieve those key results. So a key result is we need to improve customer satisfaction. Now, we could do that by making our website better, and so it's more easy to use, or we could do that by sending them £100 every month. You know, your customer satisfaction is going to go up, but the way that you achieve it can be completely different. And so I think we need to be careful sometimes in how we prescribe those OKRs. But I feel that, again, it's kind of like it doesn't necessarily say what we're going to what body of work we're going to be working on. A key result is not an initiative. It's, it's what you're going to achieve, not how you're going to go after it. So I do see a difference there. Um, but ultimately, I would say that any company that you know, any company needs something. So if you don't have a roadmap or OKRs or goals or initiatives, then we're essentially being development led or, 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 or um, you know, going after and building the product and we're not looking strategically where we need to go. So I see OKRs as being very useful because it helps us to think about the strategic achievements, but not necessarily the strategic what we're going to do. Sure. Perfect. Yeah. And I think I broadly agree with you. So I think there's a close relationship there. Again, there maybe those, sort of, those uh, things on the side, those other artifacts on the sides that you hinted at. Now, I'm going to go back. My first question, I remembered it now. Yes. It was about being subject to change. Absolutely. I think we need to preface this with it's a starter for 10. You know, this is this is what we know based on or this is what we are, are going to, to set out to achieve based on everything that we know. That stuff may change if we're too prescriptive. Uh, you know, who could have seen COVID coming um, or the impact that it would have? And if you're so specific on something, then you, you set yourself up to fail. For instance, if we set up a true roadmap to get from me to London and we prescribed that I needed to use the car and then the car broke down, essentially I've not been able to achieve what I set out to achieve on my roadmap. If we keep it high level and say, Justin is going to get to London by Saturday and actually the car breaks down, but I arrive there on train, then that's absolutely fine. So we need to be able to add a level of agility into it in terms of how we execute is different to what we're trying to do or why we're trying to do it um, and I think again communicating to people high enough uh, at a high enough level that's that's not so prescriptive gives us that agility and just say look this might be subject to change um, and I think that's really important that's something that really should um, be communicated almost every time we share the roadmap you know sometimes put it in text underneath this is subject to change but it's a it's the best view of what we know right now yeah, I mean, heck, I remember having so-called safe harbour statements. It was an entire page saying subject change. Right. Don't make any purchasing decisions based on it at the front of the whole deck with them. You try getting customers to accept that. That was the challenge I always found. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah an in interesting one. So you've probably already hinted at some of them, but when it comes to biggest mistakes you see on roadmaps that people make, any I thoughts? Think yeah, I, th I think sometimes putting too much information on them, 
is, is a classic. So you're actually giving yourself more rope to hang yourself with sometimes when you're putting those things down um, or more information than that particular stakeholder needs to see. I think the classic, you know, sharing out a delivery plan full of features, um, it's not a roadmap, but it's something that I see classic, especially teams that are just focused on building and building and building rather than the, the real strategic vision. I think some of the other the other bits that I see are are just not circulating it enough. Again, it's it's done as a tick in the box exercise, and then it's not shared and it's put on a shelf. It's like, yep, we meet we met that str that strategy planning session, and not revisiting it. Um, and also, sometimes I don't necessarily like to put executional progress on my roadmaps as well. So, you know, I, I might put a time of where we are right now, but showing progress of some of these initiatives, I feel, is, is better done elsewhere. Again, it's how much of information are we trying to load up on this roadmap? Yeah, I guess there's a, there's a compromise there, though. If you're showing some level of progress, like, you know, one of the things I've used is if you use themes of the problems you're solving, it's like, well, the solution is in beta test or it's in you know early user testing or it's in you know or we're just doing early, early user design work right. then that gives people a confidence factor without saying exactly what it is so it can give that can help in that communication absolutely you know again enough enough that they get the information they need is it this week or is it next year but it's not a specific date yeah and um, I guess somehow what related, but anti-patterns, you know, things that people think are great, but actually cause more problems or a bad practice as opposed to mistakes. Yeah. Any, any thoughts there? I think it picks up on a lot of things I mentioned before. So just, you know, sharing delivery plans and saying this is the roadmap uh, is, is the common go-to. Um, you know, we need to encourage people to think more about outcomes rather than output. And that's really what that roadmap should, should be doing. Um, but I think it's it's also the one that's very easy to achieve, especially from, from the agile world. It's very easy to show what we've been working on, but not necessarily why. Interestingly, in agile, they talk about backlog many, many times over in the documentation, but roadmap is not mentioned once. And so, you know, agile is great for helping a team to execute. And yes, we can build some strategy in there, but it's not necessarily for showing, you know, exactly where we're going. So again, it's very easy to say, hey, we delivered so much work in this sprint and you go, okay, but what was the outcome you achieved? And it's like, it's very difficult because that sprint might have delivered small incremental benefits to three different initiatives that you're working on upstream. But if you haven't created that attribution, if you haven't clicked, you know, created that these features are going towards this bigger body of work, this MVP or this initiative, then all it looks like is we're building, 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 and we don't know why. We're a feature factory. We are a feature factory. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because essentially that roadmap is sometimes confused with a release plan, I often find, and that's kind of what you're hinting at. The, the Gantt chart with the date where this feature comes out, which gives that absolute certainty. And it, it does go back to the road or the waterfall style of thinking, right? It's like, we're going to hit this date with this scope and that's the plan. And that's what we're executing again with basically no change. Whereas a, a much more agile mindset as is coming through many times is actually subjects change. We're going to learn as we move and kind of, we might end up doing something a little bit differently. Yeah, that's right. And that's why I think communicating often is important because it almost reinforces the fact that you are being agile. You know, if you communicate it once, people think it's just you're going to stick to that throughout the year. If you show them that actually that information is contemporary and up to date and it is changing, then I think you also get people more involved with it because it becomes more living and they're more invested in following what's going on. Sure. And so if you had to kind of distill down, I think there's one thing that you really hate to see in a roadmap, your pet hit, your worst practice thing. What is it? Uh, I, th I think it has to come down to timelines and features. I, I, and I know that's two, but I, 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 I really think that we should be thinking about timeframes and outcomes. We should be bringing those roadmaps and, and bringing them far higher than where they typically are and thinking about why we're doing it for our customers, not what we're building for the team or the organization. So it's shifting from you'll get X on this date to we're going to solve this problem in this time frame. Yeah, I think I think I think so. From being yeah. time bound and specific to more 
outcome focused and and you know time frames and because we don't know we don't know what we don't know cool so when you're wanting to learn about roadmaps and the roadmap space is there anyone in particular you listen to you like anyone's advice that you take uh, you know as most interesting yeah i think um there's a couple of places really and um i uh I think I've picked up a lot over the years. You know, we see a lot of roadmaps and we take the bits that we like about them. Um, being more in the product or roadmapping space, we've again sort of finessed that over time. So I think a lot of my product leaders have, have shaped the way I think about things. Um, obviously some of the big people in the industry, Marty Cargan, um, people, the product roadmaps we launched, if you're on the roadmapping space is a, is a classic one. Uh, Todd Lombardo, Bruce McCarthy, um, I think there's a few other a few other co-authors in that book. Um, there's also, you know, some of the the product organisations that go on. You know, the 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 seminars and things. Mind the product is a classic one as well. You know, looking at the speakers on there, some of the TED talks, and I think maybe the last one, and I think we touched on this actually, Phil, was the the different roadmapping tools themselves. Um, often when you use a roadmapping tool, what you're doing is you're going through some of the steps that the founders had gone through, which is what inspired them to create the tools in the first place. And yeah. so you can find yourself influenced there because ultimately it'd be great to say that there's a tool that wraps completely around our business process. But ultimately what happens is that you find that some of your business processes wrap around the tool. And so there's an influence in there as well. Yeah, great. And so... I guess you've kind of already kind of gone there, but resources, any any kind of go-to resources that uh, either from those places or different people or different websites, blogs, that sort of thing? I think a couple of the ones that I get, I'll often look at um, search for roadmapping in Google, actually, because there's a lot of new tools that are coming up where you can actually find, um, you know, new tools springing up with, with the, you know, their philosophies that either reinforce or, or contradict there. Um, I used to go to roadmap.com, which was an aha-led um, community for product managers, but unfortunately that's been that's been shut down now. So I don't think there's really a centralized roadmapping area where people can join. And I think that's an opportunity, Phil, where we can uh, maybe help our former colleagues and people to, to unite around roadmapping. Uh, but typically a good Google search will get me there or some of, you know, some of my favorite books as well, but I'm not sure that completely answered your question. Well, well I mean, you kind of already started in, I, I think you, you mentioned the Roadmaps Relaunch book, for example, yeah, personally, I love that as a resource. I think it's, it was just epiphany, you know, aha moment, not to be cliche, <laughs> aha moment uh, of kind of, right, yeah, that's the mistakes I've been making. This right. is what I should be doing. And I was trying to make those changes in my last role. So uh, definitely sure. get that one. I think um, what's been important is 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 maybe uh, showing what good looks like and and also what what uh, what bad looks like. You know, so often it's difficult to see examples of roadmaps because sometimes they can be quite sensitive. There's some companies that are, pr are producing external roadmaps, and and I applaud that because it shows again strategic direction. That could be a problem sometimes in terms of competition picking up on what they're doing. But if you keep it high level enough, you keep people engaged and excited about the direction without alluding to. What features you're going to deliver um, but I think it's something difficult because roadmaps can often they would need to be redacted in order to be shared and so it's this difficult thing if we can provide more examples of what good roadmaps look like or bad roadmaps look like even if we redact some information I think that could be helpful and probably could be a future segment on rate my roadmap <laughs> <laughs> love it yeah I mean I'm, it's an interesting one philosophically I I got to the point where it's like if I'm prepared to share it with my internal colleagues and my customer to show them it, even if it's in a meeting, I assume it's out there in the world and I'm, I'm ready to then show it. It's like, there's, a, there's a quote, I forget who it's from now, but we're all imperfect copies. So even if I show the direction I'm going, my competition, I've got to assume that I can out-execute them or, I can, or I've got a better insight. And if I'm just showing the problems I'm solving, I'm not, not doing that detailed, this feature on this date, then I'm probably actually well i can hopefully rely on that sort of mindset but yeah it's an interesting challenge 100 percent. so i'm going to come back to that earlier comment about agility and road mapping and just any final thoughts around that sort of that dimension that you don't think you've covered there um just that i think it, it again how can we communicate to the business that here's what we're working on now 
here's some sort of stuff that's aspirational and almost, you know, instead of breaking up by timeframes, uh, and that's why I like the now, next, later approach, because it even frees us up from timeframes there, let alone timelines. But almost it's like showing a backlog of initiatives sometimes. How can we how can we show that? So it's actually, instead of being the third column that is Q3, that third column is actually, here's a backlog of initiatives, and we're going to execute these based on how everything else goes before that. So uh, I haven't found a roadmap that quite does that well yet. Um, you know, people might take the ordering of those initiatives as being the top ones, the most important. How, do, how again, do we get out of that and say it's not? This is just a bucket of stuff that we might look at, whereas as it comes closer, we organize that a little bit tighter and prioritize it. And sometimes some of that is just providing that narrative to people, helping them to interpret the roadmap and say, this thing that's far right doesn't mean it's definitely happening at that point in time. It's just what I'm considering. Yeah. I mean, one of my one of the interesting things when you think about the three horizons, H3, as you mentioned earlier, right. it's sometimes just because it's in the third horizon, it's in that future it doesn't mean you're not working on it now actually you've got to right. start working on it for it and figuring things out for it to pay off in that longer time horizon so it's not actually even the order of work i find totally. it's, the, it's the payoff order yeah absolutely and, it, and it, that might actually come into where where value drops are better on these roadmaps in terms of here's where we're going to drop value and that's probably where okrs fit in a little bit more because that's a milestone in time where we're going to achieve a certain uh, thing but it doesn't allude to all of the work that's gone above that's why i don't think okrs are the be all and end all i think they're great at holding teams accountable and showing a cascade of responsibilities um but like you said we should be doing some of this work way ahead of time so and, and that's not often captured in okrs cool. so maybe on roadmaps we should actually have some things like we're going to do some discovery around this before we actually do the execution and again it leans nicely into agile but bringing it into a roadmap perspective shows that actually we are doing some work up front and there is some resource and investment happening there well yeah i mean you could be showing that in that later future column and actually showing the status you because know, we talk you know that high level status discovery activities as opposed right. to in final design or in yep. final testing it's we're, we're working on it to understand it and that will then ultimately come forwards and we'll figure out the best yeah, way we, or if it's even worth doing that's right we want to give a notion of workflow um not um you know trying to be precise in terms of where it exactly is you know um you know in development or something like this we want to kind of just soften those names a little bit so that people, those statuses, so that people get an understanding of where it is without, you know, absolutely finished development. So they suddenly think, well, it's going to be delivered now. Yeah, and we, we all know that the from <laughs> finish of dev to actually be customer ready is often not that short a journey. It's, yes, exactly, exactly. Especially uh, not outside the world of continuous integration, continuous deployment. And, and for, you know, large things, we were talking earlier about cars and things like that. You can't deliver those in an agile manner. It has to be delivered as a whole. Yeah, I mean, that gets onto one of my areas of view. You've got that interesting challenge, the hardware, the physical thing, waterfall works really well. But then you've got so much software. There's more software in a car than took us to the moon. Totally. And actually, Agile in that space makes sense. And bringing the two worlds together and finding that happy medium, that's always been an interesting challenge. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, I, I saw this in the world of amplifiers, for instance, ridiculously. But, you know, my, my home entertainment amps got more from being um, you know, analog electronics to actually being computers. And, and so we need to make sure that actually there tends to be a tendency to, you know, let's, let's just let's just sell it now and make it better over time. And that can, can impact the customer experience in terms of sometimes when stuff hasn't been tested as thoroughly, then that actually then means that it, there's an impact. So I think there's a fine line there. I definitely think it's more attractive to these manufacturers because they can go more iterative and can deploy features over time. But ultimately, if that means that it hasn't been tested and works as a complete uh, as a complete end piece, um, then actually there can be challenges to that. So I think, again, there's just a balance there. And we're, I think we're seeing that journey and that learning, that iteration happening at Tesla. You know, that's the live test case for that, you know, the, the post child, because you're getting more and more capabilities on those cars with no physical changes. But right. yeah, it is the software defined car. It's a, a very different very different approach from the traditional vehicle manufacturers. It is, and, and and we can see then also how you don't necessarily buy your functionality anymore because that functionality can be taken away. 
Yeah. Um, fact, I, think, I heard a rumor that on the Model S, the batteries on them are all identical, but you can buy different capacity versions and it's literally a software switch because yeah. the cost of manufacturing them all the same was lower than actually benefit. 100%. And, and sometimes that's really unsatisfying for the end user. I used to work right at the beginning of my career for a, um, a very high-tech video and, and uh, audio and picture production company, and they used to create their own storage. And again, the storage capacity was dictated by a software key because all of the devices had the same hard drives in there. So you could look at that and it would have three different uh, types of um, uh, storage capacity that was, you know, you pay tens of thousands of dollars for and you get a key to unlock it even though the hardware storage was there over time so similar with engines these days you know a lot of engines that just, uh, be... that just cries out for being hacked <laughs> I know, exactly or, or engines you know three different power outputs from three different maps of the same hardware yeah cool so let's let's i guess it's probably about time for us to wrap up so i'd like to leave you with one final question if you had to distill your philosophy on road mapping down to one or two sentences based on your, all that discussion any thoughts that's probably the most difficult question actually phil uh and that's why it's good, the end it's, it's a good one to end on i think i think it's to understand where the roadmap fits in, the, in, in terms of the, the deliverables and things that we're working on. And it's to understand who the roadmap is really for. That's the most important thing. If you, if you create it, um, if you create it for yourself on what you want to deliver over time, then you'll, you'll end up giving yourself enough rope that, it, that, that you know, it does hang you. So I think it's understand where the roadmap fits, understand that it's there to be able to communicate and align teams, get investment, um, and I think that's probably the worst answer I've given, but actually that's the, the way I feel it is, is to, to think about what a roadmap is and also know what a roadmap is. So really understand your context, put yourself in your context and say, there is no one size fits all roadmap. It's figuring out how it works for you, using it as a communication tool for your audience. And I'm kind of paraphrasing what yep. you said throughout, bringing it all together, hopefully. And keeping that, I think one of the things you picked up a few times as well was, one version, one source yeah. of truth with many views for those yeah. different audiences because they're actually different people consuming it. Totally. Yep, absolutely. Phil, I've thoroughly enjoyed my time with you. Thank you so much. Absolute pleasure, Justin. And uh, yeah, looking forward to getting this out to our world, to our audience <laughs> and uh, figuring out what they think about. Yeah, really. exactly. It's a good start. All right.